Today on the Back Pocket Podcast, let's welcome Chris Kluhl. He is a co-worker um, of one of my co-workers at WeWork, uh, Jeff, and good friends. Is that like second cousin or something like that? Would it be like I would second s- or third cousin? I would say it's second cousin once removed, for sure. There you go. Yes. And good friends of a former podcast guest, Devin Winter. He is the one that recommended and challenged us to have you on. So uh, we're stoked to have you, Chris. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So, you know, as always, we we, we pride ourselves on research uh, here at the back pocket. And oh, I no. just got to say, man, so uh, <laughs> if you guys Hopefully can. Hopefully you didn't dig too far. <laughs> okay. Can you hear me all right? Am I screwing this up already? No, you've been, oh, you're good, you're man. good, dude. Okay. Uh, dude. I heard you got you drove through uh, Glenwood Springs um, on your way either back or to the uh, Overcrest Rally. So I just wanted to yeah. say that's my home. You drove through my hometown, dude. Thank you. Right on. Yeah, I don't remember all the names of the towns. It's uh, I hear I hear that I did. <laughs> right. It's the one Either I did or Jake did. My my podcast co-host. I'm not sure which. Oh. I, you know, I've been across the across the west so many times that all the names of the towns kind of start to blend together a little bit. Right. This this one is the one that has the hot springs there, and oh, Jake was, was Jake. Jake was fired. I didn't yeah, get to Jake was fired up about it. I, yeah, I did to be honest, to you guys are you guys are both very uh, passionate in terms of your history and just kind of your knowledge, and so it's fun listening to your podcast because like Jake has this like very enthusiastic bravado to his voice, yeah, and uh, it was just, it's it's fun. It was fun like hearing both you guys dive in and trade stories, man. So yeah, it's always you know I love history. I always and anybody that's passionate about anything with history or almost anything. I mean, we could do. I challenge Jake. What's I'm like? You know what? I would love if I could find everything there is to know about garbage trucks. I think that would be really interesting. And I was kind of joking, you know, because I'm not I'm not interested in garbage trucks. I'm not interested in many things. But if you can have somebody that's able to explain it to you, talk to you about it in a passionate way or a knowledgeable way. It almost doesn't matter what it is. I'm interested. I'll listen to anything. Mm. So yeah, you you uh you've been doing these history stories on your own podcast. So you're a co-host of uh, Overcrest podcast. Yep. Uh, co are you co-founder uh, um, with yes. Overcrest Productions? There's a, is there three of you guys? There's three. It's me and then uh, me and Jake do the podcast. Then me, Jake, and Jeff do the rally. Got it. Um. So yeah, you've been repping this podcast for a couple of years or a few years now, and. Yeah. Uh, and then the Overcrest Rally. I say we start there and give our, our sure. listeners a little background. So that just wrapped up. Um, and we I originally contacted you uh, a few days prior. And Devin was like, whoa, actually, I, I, I might have fucked up. I gave you his contact in his easily his busiest time of year. So if he doesn't respond yeah. right away or he's busy, like, understand. Um, but yeah, it was, it was busy for sure. It was a wild, you know, a wild week for sure. Yes. So let's explain it uh, a little bit of Overcrest and then jump right into the Overcrest rally. Yeah. the I mean, Overcrest itself is just something that um, I started with Jake, you know, probably three or four years ago. And I'm like, you know what? Let's let's do this podcast. Let's talk to people. Let's find an excuse or a reason to hang out with people, talk about the things that we're passionate about. And it kind of started out as a like an automotive podcast like we did. We've done a lot of news. We've done a lot of project updates with our cars. And then it kind of started to evolve and shift into whatever we think is interesting or cool. We're just going to talk about it. I know that sounds kind of, you know, cliche as like, oh, we're just going to talk about whatever we like. Uh, but we've done stuff like uh, history of Lockheed Martin Skunk Works, which was super interesting. 
Um, one of my favorite things we've ever done, we talked to the guy who runs the National Railroad Museums. We did, I was like, I really want to understand what, um, what it was like when the railroad arrived in like Wichita, right? So what was it like when the, when the first iron horse basically drove in to Wichita? Could you imagine being there and seeing that, you know, a big steam train coming in on rails that dudes have been building and going across the country? So I'm like, I need to find out the history of this. We got a hold of the guy that was the, the guy at the National Railroad Museum, did did a ton of research on like how uh, the trains in England and London were different than the trains in America, how it shaped the how it shaped the great American West and how it decimated the Buffalo population and uh, really hurt the Native Americans, all these different things that how the railroad really changed America in like a, a really marked way. And so we've done stuff like that. So it's kind of, it's not really an automotive podcast. I would say it's more transportation and exploration. I mean, we've had some uh, mountain climbers on, guys that have ridden motorcycles around the world, guys that have ridden dirt bikes from Alaska to South America, like all these, just these crazy stories of these people that like to explore. And, uh, you know, exploration is something that is really, really important to me. And that's kind of where the rally comes in is there was multiple trips that I've taken taken across the United States, but I was in the, when I was younger, I'm 40 years old. So if you imagine like 17, 18, 19 year old me, you know, 20 year old me hopping in a Volkswagen rabbit and driving across the country, it was, oh, I'm going to take the freeways. I'm going to get there as fast as I possibly can. You know, you're, you're looking at your watch. You're like, wow, it's going to take 18 hours to get there. How fast can I get there in a 38 horsepower car, which is not very fast. And then I did this trip in the nine 11 with my buddy, Alex, I have an old Porsche and we, and I found this place called uh, Hogback Ridge. It's a very special place for me. And I had a moment there, you know, where I, it was a place that I'd always wanted to see after seeing it. And I had this moment where I saw my, basically my outline with the sunrise transposed on a cliffside. And I had like this transcendent moment where I felt like I was part of that place. Like it was me and that place were, were one. For that, for however many moments the light shined through that i was there i was part of it and it really affected me and i and i got this i got this high basically from from this exploration and this experience of of finally getting somewhere that i'd held in such high esteem i mean the place is cool i mean if, if you think of you know all the different places you can go in the world like some of the arches you can see in utah or the grand canyon or mount everest or there's tons of beautiful places in the world and in that in that scope it's not that special you know it's just a road it's kind of scary it's beautiful don't get me wrong but it's but for me i had already put it up here and when i finally got there and had that experience i was like wow i gotta i gotta figure out a way to get more of this you know i got i need to i need to drive more and for me the my my tool of exploration is 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 a car right so i choose car a lot of other people will choose other things they'll run they'll bike they'll climb They'll hike, they'll eat different kinds of food. They'll, there's all kinds of different ways to explore. For me, it's the car. The car is the tool for me. I don't feel like there's anything else that you can do, even if you're walking anything, there's nothing else you can do to see as much as you can in a short period of time as you can with a car. The freedom to travel and the freedom to explore, and you're in one, it, it is incredible. It, it, there's nothing better than wheels and an engine to travel with, it's, it's phenomenal. And I, and I started, and once I had that experience, I started seeking it more and more and more. And I started traveling around and driving the car a lot. And for a 50 year old car, I put probably 60,000 miles on it in the last eight or nine years, which is a lot for a classic car. And then I decided, I'm like, you know what? 
what if I can have other people experience this too? And my buddy Alex was with me on this trip. We did a film called Der, uh, Dazil. And the theme of the film is Der Vegas Dazil, which is German for the route is the goal or the journey is the goal, right? Which basically means it's not the, it's not the destination, it's how you get there, right? The cliche of it or whatever. And I got so much feedback on that film. People sending me a message, hey, I reconnected with my dad. We went on a road trip. I saw your movie and, you know, it, was, it moved me so much that we went and bought a car and drove together. It changed my life. And this has happened just countless times that it's impacted people in this way. And then I started realizing that I had, I don't want, I, I had this platform, you know, of which I could reach out and, and touch people and impact their lives and move them to do something that I thought was important that I, th that I thought would move them. You know, most of the people that listen to Overcrest or follow me or whatever kind of have some sort of um, car paradigm in their life, right? Cars matter to them. So, you know, driving out in the car and impacting that in, the, in that way is kind of like a knob I can turn, right? I can reach into reach in and turn that knob and, you know, do the event with Jake and Jeff or, or talk about it on a podcast or do a film or whatever. And reaching out there, it turns that knob for people and gets them out exploring and I think exploring is really important. I think if you are at any point in your life, if you quit exploring, you're dead, basically. You know, if you're not out exploring, you might as well just shut the doors, put the hoodie over your head, pull the strings, you know, it's over, you're done. You know, and I think as we get older, it becomes almost more important. You know, everybody either explores when they're young or they explore when they're old. Old because they have, have time and young when they have time. And in the middle, everything's um, super duper busy. Hold on, my screensaver just turned on. My my other computer is, is my light. And I think it's, you gotta have these new experiences throughout your life. If you're not having new experience and, and creating new experiences for yourself, I think your brain just starts to go through the motions. And it's one of the reasons why time flies by really, really, really fast is because your brain doesn't have to think about what you're doing. You get stuck in a routine, you wake up, you brush your teeth, you butter the toast, you know, you, you go out, you get the mail, you come in or you go to work and you sit there and you work and then you come home and you make dinner, you watch Netflix and then you go to bed. If you're doing that every single day, you're just waiting to die. You know, if you're just living that routine and I understand that not everybody can just go out and go exploring all the time. And I don't think anybody should because life is a collection of these moments that are day to day. You know, we have to take those day-to-day -day things and appreciate them as well. But you have to try and inject some sort of new experiences into in your life. Otherwise, everything goes by like that and, and it's over. So I try to, this is my platform, the Overcrest, the rally, the podcast, the, the writing that I do, the photography, the filmmaking, all of it is just me trying to turn a knob to get people to do something. Dude, I love that. The uh, I I was just in Moab uh, this past weekend and uh, someone, uh, a good buddy, Tim Satry, told me the same thing. He was like, um, he's like, it's really cool that you and Andrew have like the back pocket as this creative expression. And now you guys kind of have this community that you guys can use. And he's like, it's a great thing that you have like this part of your brain, this part of your life that you're constantly trying to create and execute on. And to, to combine that with like the exploring man, like it's so cool to jump out of the routine and go 
try something new and that and, and to your point like the exploration doesn't necessarily need to be like i'm gonna drop everything and like right. go to thailand or we're doing I'm it gonna... right now yeah exactly right now, like this is a form of exploration this talking to each other and and basically reaching into each other's minds and learning from each other is that's exploration too it's i want people to do whatever it takes whatever it takes to do it absolutely right. yeah and and on top of that like you need these these anchoring points or else your year becomes mundane and it falls into the next year and these next year uh, i was listening to jesse itzler one of the uh a runner and i think he is founder of um net jets um and he was talking about you know he, he's 55 years old and he'd have all of his 40s and 50s could be blended together. However, he's challenging himself each year to have the Overcrest Rally, this anchoring point that he can remember, oh, in 2008, this is what I did. Um, and because right. he, he challenged himself to have that experience um, and recall on what's happening or else it is becomes mundane and routine. And I've read many places that it's, it's a physiological thing too, the neurons in your brain and having new experiences in your brain. If you're doing the same thing over and over again, your brain doesn't have to work. So it's important to have new things happen. It, totally. it, it helps your state of mind. So I had physically a, and emotionally. Totally, man. The, uh, I had, I had a question though on like when you said driving across the country, cause I do agree. Like you're able to see a, like when you're driving across the country or exploring via car, you're able to get like a wide perspective and a good range. And you're able to like, have some time to take in stuff as you're driving my challenge is how do you keep your eyes on the road like what's your balance between like looking at cool stuff on the road versus like keeping you know being a good defensive driver are there any tips there no <laughs> not for me it's like uh my my co-host jake just calls me the iron man of road trips like i don't i don't zone out i don't i don't phase in and out of anything for me i don't know if you I don't know how old you guys are, but back in the day, you had to do something with your hard drive called defragmenting. So you had to go through and you oh. had to like click on this thing and do something called defragmenting your hard drive because all the data that you had would your every time you would write to the hard drive, it would move stuff around and it, it would like move things and try to reorganize. And after a while, it was just like a giant shit show. It's like all of your data just was like went up in there like this and landed on your hard drive and it was really slow and it got all fucked up. And most of the time when I'm on a road trip, I feel like I'm doing that for myself is defragging is like picking up all these little pieces. And I have a little notebook with me that I write down ideas and thoughts and everything like that. And every time I'm done, I feel refreshed. Like I don't feel tired. I don't feel wasted. I don't feel like beat into the ground. And I think a lot of that is because I don't, I'm not trying to necessarily get anywhere at a particular time. I think that's one thing people stress out about. And I think the GPS like having a little GPS in your phone with Waze or Google Maps or Apple Maps, whatever you're doing. My arrival time is 4.54 p.m. And you're like, wow, that's six hours away. That's going to take forever. And you're driving and you're just like, you're constantly looking at it. You're constantly like absorbed in this arrival time. And in doing that, you know, it's, it's interesting. Like I, I just took, this is like a, a tangent on this topic, but I have a 1973 Ford Pinto Squire wagon. It's this, it's a it's a gold station wagon with wood on the side from 1973. It's got a white interior. It's slow. It is so incredibly yeah. slow. And I was I took my daughter on a road trip and we went out to Utah to look at stuff for the rally and we hopped in the car in the summer and we started driving out. And 
I was like, well, I gotta, she's gotta have some books and Nintendo stuff like that to try and keep her entertained. She's seven years old. I'm like, there's no way she's going to be able to handle this. It's going to be this. Am I there yet? And it was, it totally was like, it was the cliche. Am I there yet? Over and over and over again. Cause she wanted to like, you know, she wasn't super into the scenery at first. She just wanted to get to the hotel where the pool was like, she just wanted to jump in the pool. And I, and I pulled the car over. I said, Hey, and right around seven, eight years old, when you have kids, you can kind of start to have a conversation with them. That's more complicated than don't do that. Do this. You know, you can, you can start to treat them like human beings rather than just parasites. So you can kind of like start to have conversations with them. And I said, look, I don't want you to ask me what time we're going to be there. I don't want you to ask me, you know, is there a pool where we're going? We have to be right here because there will always be later, right? There's always going to be something else to look forward to. You know, if you don't start just focusing on what is here and you're always focused on the things that are over here and I'm like doing hand movements with her and stuff to try and like, you know, relate to relate to her and trying to boil this down. And it's easy to boil down. It's a very, very easy topic to explain to anyone. It's like, hey, focus on now because there will always be later, right? It's very easy to explain, but we go, you and we, you, me, we all go through our lives every single day being like, all right, uh, man, I can't wait for that new movie to come out or man, I can't wait till it's Friday night, you know, Friday night's coming. I got the weekend coming. I can't wait. It's going to be awesome. I'm going to watch football on Sunday, whatever, the, whatever it is, you're, you're, you spend so much time wasting the now looking forward to the later. And she's like, oh, and for some reason she got it. You know, she understood. And from that point on, she didn't touch her books. She didn't touch the Nintendo nothing i didn't have to talk to her about it she just kind of like chilled and like looked out the window and it was just there with me for it was like a 25 30 hour drive all the way out there and she just like hung out and i was in this car and this is later on and i'm driving in the mountains and i'm like just furious because this thing is so slow i mean i cannot impress you guys upon you guys how enough how slow it is it has like 100 horsepower and every 1,000 feet you go up, you lose three horsepower. And at 10,000 feet, that means I'm down 30% of horsepower on a 100-horsepower car. That is, it, it, you guys, it's so bad. I'm in first gear, automatic, chunked it down, right? I'm in first gear, just going, I'm like, fuck this car. I hate it so much. And my daughter looks over at me and goes, Dad, why are you swearing at the car? Just be here. Where are we trying to go? And she totally got me right she got me she got me it's like two days later she just nailed it and i went you know what you're right you're 100 percent right so it's i took like a, a little piece of tape and i put it over the arrival time on my phone on that gps because that gps is brutal it's like a game you play with yourself trying to beat the gps or get there at that time and then you see yourself like you talk to people they're like oh yeah i did this or i lost time on the gps and you didn't lose time you were just doing something else you didn't lose time. It's not possible to lose time, right? It's mm -hmm. just, it's just, you're just doing something different. Anyway, she got me good. And, uh, but that, that mentality of being wherever you are really helps when you're on road trips. If you're constantly trying to, you know, look at the horizon and wondering when you're going to get there and you're frustrated and you're like, there's somebody waiting for you, whatever the case may be, that's what makes it take forever. Seriously. I mean, there's nothing that will make driving slower than thinking about driving so i just i like kind of withdraw into myself and just 
I think about projects. Um, I'm writing a book. So I was like, I kind of was thinking about the book that I was writing. Um, just all the different things that you can think about. It's, plus, it's just good to be alone, right? Mm. How often are we alone today? You know, I wasn't alone with my daughter, but I've been alone for a lot of my other road trips. How often are you doing that? Nobody's alone anymore. Everybody's doing something or connected with your phone or whatever the case may be. So I find it okay. I've never had problems with falling asleep or not being able to focus or any of that stuff just because my mind is just defragmenting itself and, you know, reorganizing. I don't know. It's just never been a problem for me. Maybe once I'm older, it'll start to be an issue, but right now it's, it's okay. Dude, that rocks. First off, dude, you are such a good dad. Like kudos <laughs> to you. Mad good props. dad alert. Good dad we alert. Good dad. We got a good dad alert. Yeah. Right here. I mean, that, that is a huge uh, segment on this podcast is we're pro dad. And when we have a, we're Declan and I are 25. So we're, you know, we're okay. learning from um, dads yet. our forefathers. Uh, such as yourself and I try to be the one thing I always <laughs> notice is no matter what I do no matter what I do no matter how much time I spend when I put them into bed at night I always go I should have done this I should have done this why did I tell her I wouldn't color with her why didn't I ride do the bike ride with her because we're busy like I got stuff to do right I, I can't just drop everything all the time you just can't it's not possible and I don't know that you would want to because if you always constantly said oh yes I'll do whatever you want it would be weird and the kid would grow up bizarre and fucked up, right? You wouldn't want to do that. But you still, when you put them to bed, you're like, oh man, there's always this feeling of regret that you just never did enough, always. Hmm. Even like going on that whole road trip and coming back, I was like, man, maybe I should have picked that place with the pool that night. She probably would have been happier. Even though we were in like Canyonlands National Park going hiking and I, like we had a guy teach her how to belay down a cliff at seven. Like, oh, this like crazy shit that we did. And it was just, it's never enough. And no matter what, it's never enough. You're always disappointed in yourself. At least I am. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I, I can, I can totally get that feeling. Um, to, that's to like the maximum degree for me. It's like day to day work things that I feel like I, I haven't done enough or I'm itching for that next thing. You're talking about this road trip or that you're getting this destination. And that's when you can finally breathe. That's when your daughter can finally like, ah, we made it. Um, yeah. And Declan and I are sitting in constant situations where we're planning an event or we're planning this future podcast production um, under a different for with different personalities and X, Y, Z. And it's like, oh, right when I get there, then I'm going to be able to go. Ah, all right. Now I'm here. Yeah. I can sit in it. But that's never the case. Right when you never. get. Yeah. Even when you get there, you're still 10 feet away from it. Um, so simply there's be- an interesting parallel mm-hmm. between the road trip and the the mundane sometimes mundane driving to get to the destination where you want to be and life of the mundane getting to where you want to be. It's like, they're the same thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and kind of like a pivot here, Mike. So you're talking about one of the early things you talked about with Overcrest is the idea of transportation. It's uh, not a, you're not a car podcast. You're an expo expo exploration transportation. Um, sure. And, my dad is currently walking from uh, West Hope, North Dakota, to Hope, Texas. He is 101 days in. It's going to take him 100. I thought you were going to say 101 days, 101 years old. I was like, wow. <laughs> he's, he's 55, um, okay. and he's 101 days in, 1,500 miles in. Um, and he, 
you were describing slowing things down to the driving pace and not having not not necessarily taking the the highways to get there, but understanding the surroundings. Um, I was able to see my dad um, walk and w- move it down to the walking pace, uh, or at the pace of walking. And I mean, it was. It was truly something. I mean, he is he, his mission is to just spread some positivity in the heartland of our country, find some common ground, uh, or find common ground on an uncommon path, um, and it was just it is beautiful. But I, I'm truly resonating with with, with what you're saying, um, and I'm seeing it all around me, and I'm and it's always a challenge to implement it here at sitting here at 25 years old. <clears throat> yeah, it's it's also perspective. As you get older, you'll realize it's more important. It's yeah. just something that you can't explain. Like I was, uh, I had this weird paradox moment where I was listening to music with my kids and Dark Side of the Moon album came on and this the song Time came on, right? Time. And it's, there's these great, there's these great lines in the song. It's like, you run and you run to catch up with the sun, but it's sinking just to race around and come up behind you again. And I, all of a sudden I had this like memory pop into my head. And I was like, wow, I remember sitting there listening to my dad. This is so silly and cliche. I remember listening to him tell me, yep, someday you will understand this song. You will get it. Someday you will understand how much faster time goes as you get older and older. And it's not something you can explain to somebody. The perception of time and what changes and how you perceive day-to-day life, it's, it's way different for me than it is for you but I don't have any way to explain it to you. You're just going to have to find it out for yourself. So of course I went, let me tell you what kids, you're never <laughs> going to understand what blah, 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 this song someday you'll get it. Like, and I, the same thing that my dad did to me. I was like, and I was like, wow, this is, you know, <laughs> that's so cool though. <laughs> I mean, uh, first off that song rocks. I listen to that all the time and it's like, it's, uh, it's one of those things too, where it's like, you would have never picked up on that, that part of the song had he not like just really sat and like stayed present with the moment. And there's just Mm -hmm. so much reward that comes from that. Uh, cliche or not, man. I mean, uh, I just came, I actually just drove through a similar area where the rally was because you said the rally was somewhere in Utah, correct? Yeah. It was well all over Utah. Yeah. All over Utah. So I just came from Moab. I'd never been there before. And what a cool spot to like film anything. Like there's so much great landscape, uh, in that so area. much great nothing there's so much nothing that it feels like something yes dude great yes exactly so driving through those single lane roads just like looking around like wow different rocks man crazy or like the mexican <laughs> hat thing that you guys there's yeah. a there's a town called mexican hat which i found out from jake or maybe it was you uh that the reason it's called mexican hat is because the guy who found it didn't know how to spell sombrero so he just yeah. called a mexican hat it was the guy yeah. it was whoever claimed oil there what first. a lazy named, dude yeah lazy guy <laughs> Uh, but it's, it, what's funny and it's a little bit of, you know, sitting with sitting in the present and, uh, very, very similar to driving and like having that reward is so last week in Moab, I was part of the, um, uh, a crew team that ran the, uh, Moab 240, which is a 240 mile race around the city of uh, Moab. And so I paced, I paced the two guys that were competing in it and I paced them for 45 miles. So I'd never, I'd ran probably. 13 miles, uh, the longest I've ever ran. And then I just picked up and well, trained a little bit and then picked up and ran, uh, 45 with, um, uh, in a day. And why do I'm you run there. What, How do you, how do you, I'm sorry. How do you deal with the physical? Like, cause I, I just can't do it. I just can't, 
Yeah. Like I just start running and I'm like, this sucks. This is right. hard. No, it does you... suck. <laughs> it, it sucks. And so, but I'll, I'll, I'll give you this. Yeah. Though. Sorry. So yeah. it's, so I ran for like 15 and a half hours and I wasn't running the entire time. I mean, my section was down some downhill, some flat, some uphill. So anytime there was an uphill, we'd walk it. Anytime there was a flat, we'd do a light jog. Anytime there's a downhill, we'd light jog it. And so over that kind of course and repetition, you're averaging roughly uh, three and a half to four miles an hour, depending on how fast you're going. Uh, maybe even closer to five if you're really pushing it. Um, and there's really no changing that. Like that's pretty much the pace of the entire race. So when you boil it down, it's like basically a 15 minute mile. So when I was training, I was running like anybody else would. And I was trying to push like nine minute mile, 10 minute mile, and then just trying to rack up as many miles as I possibly could. And that sucked because like you're running out of breath, your legs are hurting, you're accelerating the pain process exponentially. So yeah. when we started on this run at like 9am and you're, you're in the at 10,000 feet and you're, you know, just running on like a hiking trail and you know that you're running for a really, really long distance of time. The key is longevity. So really like the pain really, like I ran 18 miles and the, I, I felt like I ran maybe three, honestly. And I was like feeling on top of the world. I was really jazzing these guys up. And anyways, we ran another, decided to run another 27. But what I was getting to is we nighttime hits. We have seven miles left. We're walking because we're so freaking tired. And it's one of those things where it's like looking at your watch, same navigation thing, like, okay, I have seven miles left. I know we're walking at about a two and a half mile pace. So there's a good chance I'll be out here no matter what. I can't walk any faster. I can't walk any slower. I know I'm going to be out here in the pitch black for another two and a half hours, no matter what. So what are you going to do? Like, are you going to like quit, bend over and, and just like kind of sit with yourself and be like, okay, I guess like this sucks, you know? Or like, is there something you could be productive to like keep everyone going? And uh, I mean, it, it, I had so many like things in my head that were going on as to like how terrible and whatever this was, but I was just like documenting every time, like what I would do to keep myself going. And one of the things was the destination. I was like, you know, how fucking awesome. It's going to be when I get to that aid station, I get to sit down and have a quesadilla or like, you know, how awesome. It's going to be when I get to drive home the next day, you know, like, there are all these different, you know, grades can be to go to work, you know? So I kept thinking of all these things. And then as they came into play, as I had the quesadilla, as I started to drive home, even when I showed up at 5am to work this morning, I was like, dude, I am loving this a lot. It was just a cool way how like you can kind of change time even though like you you wanted something to end because it sucks or something but you can use you can always use it to your advantage i guess is really what i'm saying yeah you were eating the carrot you know you you got the carrot on the end of the stick you reached out and grabbed it yeah yeah it's pretty crazy man so were Just the bananas. were the stars out while you were at night walking yes dude that was so that was one of the crazier parts was when the sun just was just setting and you got like the solid uh silhouette around the entire all 360 and then you just start started seeing all the stars and stuff. And you, like, I mean, we did, we pretty much went headlamps for most of the night, but you, we all turned our headlamps off for a little bit and just did night, just got our night eyes out, which I didn't even know that was really a thing, but yeah. It's yeah. It takes like 40, absolutely. 45 minutes for your night vision to come into play completely. And when it does, and you see like the different, you can start seeing different colored stars out there. And eventually mm -hmm. you can see like the stripe of the Milky Way. It's like yellow and goes across. It's, it's amazing. It's absolutely incredible. Everybody should see it once. Yeah, I would. Yeah, I just want to go out on a limb and say, Scott, the sky is kind of underrated. I don't think enough people are looking at stars nowadays. No, they're they're spending too much time looking down. 
Yes, absolutely. Um, so walk me through a little bit about like filming in Utah, like what the rally, I know you, you kind of explained the, what the rally maybe encapsulates from a macro standpoint, but like talk me through kind of like the production, what you guys are trying to get after. I watched your, I think it was like three or four minute clip today on the 2021 recap. And yep. I was just like smiling the whole time as like a guy who like, you know, is loosely involved in cars that was like just kind of doing my research and getting to know you. I was literally just smiling the whole time. Like I thought it was so freaking cool. Um, well, but first, just walk I didn't, me through kind of how. Yeah, that was, I didn't have anything to do with the with the film. Um, we talked about it a little bit, but that was really Jeff, Jeff and Skyler uh, from Able Films. They're the one that that did the film. That was, was kind of their concept, and they did a great job um, capturing what was most important, which was the relationships that were uh, garnered from being there. And that's, I guess that's one thing I didn't really expect with the rally is you never know. Like when we started this rally, like is anybody going to come? You know, what are we going to do? Is anybody going to come all the way out to middle of nowhere, Utah? I mean, why would they? It's at least a day drive for anyone, unless you live in Utah, which nobody lives in Utah. So it was like at least a day and a half drive. It was three days for us, for anyone to be there. So we didn't know if anybody was going to come. But I think because it was so remote, all the people that did come were the right people. And we had a lot of people. I think we had ended up having 150 people there with like 75 to 90 cars, something like that. And all the people that came there became friends. And I've never seen, usually at car events, you end up with a little bit of ego. You know, there's always ego at car events. And there was none. Everybody was just chill and nice and made friends with each other and, you know, went and explored new places together and participated in that ritual together. And it was incredible. And I think that the film uh, captured that perfectly. And Skylar did just an, an amazing job. It was, it was, I couldn't have asked for more out of those guys. And what's amazing was that if you look at that film, it was one dude filming all of that. So this dude had to fly in his truck all over Utah, capturing all these different things. He, the guy's hair must've been on fire for like three days. It must've been wild. Yeah, I can imagine. Andrew, so you're going to say something? Yeah. What, uh, so you're talking car ego and I think this is something we just got to briefly touch on. Um, what is is am i picturing like typical car ego like macho man like my exhaust and you're talking to a guy that is a very little, small a guy who has like balls on the bottom uh, like uh, below is uh there's all kinds of different car ego and i think oh. what car ego is is you have there's for me when i drive i drive my car i don't drive my porsche because oh my gosh it's a porsche blah blah it is the ultimate tool for what i do it's a very simple car um it's it's a reliable car. It's a sports car. It's very good at many things. Some people call it a Swiss Army knife of cars. It's very, very good. Um, but a lot of people drive cars as a status symbol, right? There's there's not many objects that cost that much money that you can buy. Look at it this way. When it, cars are marketed in a, in a certain way, if you look at any car commercial, whether it's Subaru, Porsche, Honda, whatever, they're all marketing a type of person that would drive their car. They're not, we're long gone are the days where, yeah, for $9,995, you can have five doors. You can have a truck. Look at all these groceries that fit in there. This thing tows 15,000. None of that happens anymore. All it is, is, is like, if you look at like a Subaru commercial or something, or like a new Honda Pilot commercial, look at what you can do with your family. You can do this, you can go here, you can do these things, or this truck is really, uh, drives across the desert a lot of it is exploration a lot of the stuff is tied to exploration now but it's almost like cars have become like a lifestyle thing where 
you can go out and you can buy a car that completely represents who you are. It's almost like a hat, right? Like you have all kinds of different hats that you can buy. Like you can buy a, a five panel hat, which makes you kind of look like a hipster. You can buy a cowboy hat that makes you look like you're either a poser or a cowboy. I mean, you can, there's all kinds of different hats you can buy and it's like a style thing or glasses or shoes or, and cars are like really expensive version of shoes where people can buy them and it's very defining of their personality. And because of that, and because of how much they cost, especially with Porsche, which is, they're, they're very, very expensive. I didn't pay anywhere near what my car is worth, not even close. I paid like 15 to 20% of what my car is actually worth at this point. But a lot of guys are very wealthy and they, and they buy the cars and they don't really drive them. It just becomes like an extension of, of um, like a guy that remodels their house and inv invites better homes and gardens over to take pictures of their house because they think it's so great. It's just that kind of ego is not what I want at the events. I want mm -hmm. people that are there to explore and experience new things and meet new people and have, like I said, have like a transcendent moment. And I had a lot of people reach out to me. They're like, Hey, I've heard you, heard you talk about that, that moment that you had at Hogback Ridge. I've talked about it many, many times. And they're like, I had mine and it was this. And that was that was it, man. Once I heard that, I was like, done. We did it. We won. People, it worked. It worked. We, they had the experience I, we wanted them to have, right? So, but I don't think you're able to have that experience properly if you're not willing to give yourself up to the people in the environment that you're in. You know, if you're constantly worried about, oh, man, what are people thinking of this car? Is it is it cool enough? Is it the right one? Is it the right color? Has it got the right modifications done to it? If you're worried about all that kind of stuff, you've already you're already doing it wrong. And none of that was there. It was, maybe some of those people were there, but it transformed them into not those people. Like the, the environment and the people that were there, just it just all worked. Dude, that's awesome. That's a, that's a good sign that the intention that you put in is being matched and amplified back towards you. So I think yeah. that's just like a, that's a cool realization. I mean, we've had uh, ourselves, like when, when we've, you know, taken the risk and tried to throw events and, various things like it's it's really it's they don't people don't talk about the, the the risk and the feeling behind like taking that initial step or just like thinking that this idea or concept you have is worth executing on and then when it executes it's like humanity is safe it like feels like your own version of humanity is saved to a certain degree yeah. you're like this is sick i found a bunch of non-egotistical people in the middle of utah or like that came to the middle of utah to like you know, cherish something yeah. that I, that we all enjoy so much. And I think that's kind of the cool part about, you know, what we have going on with the internet nowadays and like social media and everything of why, like everyone's so connected. It's like, I don't think the goal is necessarily to be connected to every single person out here. I think the goal is really to be connected to like, you know, people who really disagree with you or people who really love what you do and, or are equally as passionate as, uh, as what you are about something like there's, there's so many little niches that you can fall into and, and relate to people on. I mean, it's, it's, it's really cool. And like taking that intention nowadays, although scary is entirely worth it, man. Yeah. It was like the motoring version of breaking bread together is what it is. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right on. And speaking of like breaking bread, what are you guys doing at these rallies for food? Well, yeah, food, but also just like <laughs> in general, like what, what goes on at a rally? I've never, I've seen I've seen like car movies and, and like I follow my one of my favorite movies is Too Fast Too Furious. I think they ludicrous okay. starts out with a sweet rally at the beginning. No, no, I wasn't no, no. sure if <laughs> if that was anything of your alley in terms of what you guys do at Overcrest. Basically, what it is is a bunch of like-minded people getting together in a small town to hang out, 
shoot the shit, meet each other, have a good time, explore. Like you you go out, you drive, you stop, you look around, you see things. Maybe you see uh, an abandoned building or an abandoned aircraft hangar like I found, and you kind of go look at it together, take pictures. And it's kind of an unknown experience. It's It's almost like watching a movie that you've never seen before, but it's a choose your own adventure kind of, if that makes sense. Like, I don't know if you remember the choose your own adventure books or be like, go to page 96 and you go to page 96. And you're like, Oh shit, I'm dead. Or you go to page 96. Wow. I found the treasure or whatever. Like that's kind of like being out on the road like that, where you can go and find something. Some things are, aren't so great. Some things are amazing. And you're having those experiences with people is kind of what it's all about. Of course, the driving is great too. You know, cars are awesome they sound great they're they're ex- exhilarating physiologically um they make your adrenaline run you know the sound the noise the smell the feeling and the fact that you're controlling a machine like that that's if you really think about what an engine is doing it's easy to disconnect yourself from this reality because we're cars have been around our entire lives but if you if you have a tachometer in your car which is something that measures the speed of the engine right and it says 6,000 RPMs, that's 6,000 revolutions per minute, okay? And if you have a four-cylinder engine, that's however many times the spark plugs are firing and burning gas. All that stuff is just fucking going like this all over the place. And But, you're, but you have this control over this device. You know, you have control over this machine. And there's a lot of, um, it gives you a lot of power. And I think that human beings enjoy that responsibility and they enjoy the enjoy being in control of something like that and then of course when it's something um something fast and something special or for me like i built my engine so uh and i built my car i did all the suspension on my car i did body work on the car i cut it apart welded it back together and all these different things and then all of a sudden you're like wow i i really built this machine that i'm driving and of course, there, of course, there's a modicum of risk that comes with all that. Is it going to break down? I have to maintain it myself. I have to change my own oil. And the rituals of all that, um, the the driving is kind of like the reward of all of that maintenance and building and stuff like that. So you kind of get to reward yourself with it, with this powerful machine that makes your heart race. And I put it together. Amazingly, it didn't blow up. Amazing. Great. And then you can go pound on it in the mountains and drive around. And it's just a wonderful experience. I really appreciate you going with that, like that, with that direction of what happens at the rally. You know, you're talking about people coming together because they love cars. That's like at the basis. But when they get there, there is no plan. There is no schedule. There is no, this is what we're doing. It's a, hey, now I just met this guy or I met this woman and let's go continue to explore. We, we explored our entire way to get here. Now we're here yeah. and we have all of this open land. Let's go appreciate this machine that we built that is, and it has incredible powers and let's go on a little, let's go on another adventure and now we get to share it together. Um, yeah, and we're you, so lucky that we're able to do this. That's too. incredible. Just, you, like, you brought 150 people together to share adventures. I mean, fuck yeah. That's I'm such, just that's, talking about the ability to explore it such a sure. way. Like imagine you guys aren't old enough, but playing Oregon trail where it's like, wow, Mary died of dysentery. And you know, you're, as you're traveling in your wagon train across the United States, it would take like six to eight months in a wagon to get across the United States. And you were probably going to die. Most likely you were going to die, but you did it anyway. Now I can hop in my car, put a bunch of dead dinosaurs in it 
and go fly, you know, drive across to 3,000 miles to California in three days. Holy shit. This, it's like, it's important to understand what you're doing and how special it is. Or even like, obviously you think about flying. Are you kidding me? We're going to hop in this metal tube and hurdle 50,000 feet above the earth at 500 miles per hour and then maybe make a phone call and talk to our mom? What? Are you kidding me? How is that even possible? So all these different things. And what's unique about the car is that you get to do it yourself, though. That's that's the best part about it is you're, you are in control of the machine. Hey, one quick note. We definitely are tail end. But we we were we're Oregon Trail guys, you know. I yeah, I tried many guys. many times to get across the country, and my grandma Mary would die of smallpox. And yep. my that's because all you took with you was bullets, dude. Bullets. Got to take some provisions. Exactly. Always ran out of food. You did. The, you got to the buck hunting, and you you always came to your sparse area where you got you got Bambi. Sadly, you, you killed a baby doe, and you're like, ah, oh, it's not gonna feed the oh, family three of five. Of meat. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, it is. A, we are truly blessed. I, I coin myself as Airport Andy. No one's more efficient in the airport than me, um, and I appreciate that. I love the airport. I take my time in there. I sh- like. I'm not there to get there super early or rush the airport. But I love the mechanism of the airport. I appreciate how everything gets done. It is true chaos in a in a building that moves more efficiently than anything else. Um, yeah. It's a beautiful thing, like, and especially MSP. I mean, that that airport is incredible. But uh, transportation. Human beings have gonna... certainly built a house of cards for ourselves. That is incredible. <laughs> that is for sure. Yes, Andrew, you gonna uh, you gonna break the news about your recent travel uh, purchase? Um, well, it's in a travel extension. I renewed. Um, I'm a uh, global entry. Um, uh, applicant and I got approved for renewal, which is global entry. You pay a hundred dollars and you get TSA pre-check and global entry, which is the TSA pre-check version of customs coming from, uh, international waters. And it's a hundred dollars sure. for five years. I think it's the biggest hack in the system. Uh, global entry. I have clear. Is it better than clear? That's what so I've got. The trick is to have clear. I don't do this, but the trick is to have clear with TSA pre-check. And now, uh. now you're undefeated. You're unbeatable. <laughs> <laughs> It's it's the ultimate move of efficiency for the cheap price of a hundred dollars or twenty dollars a year. So yeah, Andrew, proud of you, dude. Yes, big time life hack over here. Uh, it, you you should have seen Andrew. Like I think uh, I can't remember where. When, oh, we were going to Aruba for spring break one year, and you know Andrew was flaunting his global entry card and just you know he was he was already at the gate. Let's say an hour before we even got close. Uh, because of his preparation. And meanwhile, I was getting pulled over by TSA because I had a Barbasol can full of shaving cream. And I couldn't you didn't have a Barbasol can full of dino DNA? <laughs> <laughs> Where are you going with no, that guess... T-Rex there, son? <laughs> hey, kid, slow down. You don't have a mustache. <laughs> What's going on here? You know, the guy was being a dick that day for sure. But uh, I digress. Sorry. I know it. I just needed, a, I needed Andrew to tout it up a little bit. Cause you know, kid, there's no one more efficient than this kid. So proud of you, Andrew. Yeah. Thank you for the recognition. Appreciate it. Uh, Chris, I'd love to, <laughs> I'd love to tap into, uh, so we talked over Crest, um, the rally, um, and a little bit of the podcast, which is briefly, but more so let's tap into your writing skills. I mean, you're an artist at the end of the day, which is cool. You got all these things going on. Um, and now, um, you're tapping into the written form. How has that been? What's that process like? Um, any any advice for all of our authors out there in the world? Uh, 
I kind of approach writing in an ex. <laughs> it's <just> so dumb. <laughs> in, I guess it's just it's it's kind of like predictable with me. Uh, in a very exploratory way, mm-hmm. I I want to mm-hmm. be able to take mm-hmm. people with me, just like a rally, right? I just I always want to take people with me, and uh, one of the the best best advice I ever got was from one of my editors, Pete Stout, who was the editor of a, of a Porsche publication, a really, really nice one. And I had written something for, I think I flew out and I interviewed Akim Anscheid. And Akim Anscheid is the, at the time, I'm not sure what he's doing now, but he was head of design at Bugatti. So he designed the Bugatti Veyron, which is a crazy car, 200 miles an hour, very expensive, million dollar car. And he had worked for Porsche back in the day and stuff like that. Very, very, very talented car designer. And I kind of flew out there, flew to Berlin, met him. And I wrote an article about my experience with him. And it was like, uh, I got into his car. We did this. I felt this way. And Pete goes, you'll never be able to get anyone to put themselves in the story if the story is about you. And from that point on, I have avoided putting the word I in everything I've ever written. I spend an hour on a paragraph trying to figure out a way to write around saying I. Because every time you say I, the person that's reading it realizes that it's not, they're not putting themselves in the story anymore. They realize it's about someone else. And a lot of people write that way very well. But I took it as a challenge the first time. And I rewrote it, rewrote the piece, and Pete was like, wow, this is this is amazing. This is one of the best things that we've had. Keep doing this. And since I got that, you know, that great Pavlovian feedback, I've I've continued to try and perfect that craft. And I'm writing a book right now. And I was like, I, I'm writing a, like a dystopian Western. It's this, this huge thing. It's done. It's the book is done. I'm doing the editing process now. And I told myself, I'm like, I started to write this book. And I'm like, okay, how the hell am I going to write this book? Am I going to write it in the third person or first person? I don't want to write in the first person because I don't like using I. It's not what I'm talented at doing. So I wrote the book in like observational third person. So you have like first person, you have um, omnipotent third person where the person that's reading the book knows what everybody is thinking. Like John was hungry. He really wanted a sandwich where you have, uh, you have observational third person where you would say, John was rubbing his stomach while he looked at the sandwich sitting on the table. So it's like a little bit of a different, but we don't really know what John's thinking, but we know what he's thinking because we can see what he is doing. So I, I coupled that style of writing with, I think Hemingway did it a little bit. Um, and uh, my, my favorite author, Cormac McCarthy, writes that way sometimes. And so I wrote the whole book without saying I once other than some dialogue of people saying it. And I wrote it in such a way where it's completely observational third person, which makes it almost feel like a movie script, almost, like the mm. way that it's written. But it was, it took me over a year. It's like almost 90,000 words, 300 pages. The hardest thing I have ever done. Getting up in the morning, going to sit down and being like, fuck me, now I have to like, I gotta write this book and it's, I gotta write a couple thousand words today. How am I gonna do that? And it, it's hard to, because when you sit down to write, here's the question I get a lot. How do you decide what to write about? Or um, what do you do with writer's block? And these things are real. Like you sit down, you're like, 
I don't know. What am I going to write about today? How am I going to get past this writer's block? Because writer's block is a real thing. It's not something that people complain about. Like, I don't want to write or I don't want to work. I've got writer's block. Ha ha. I'm just going to go do something else instead. Writer's block is real. 100% real. And the only way through it is just to write. I know that sounds like the dumbest thing ever, but just write something. Write anything. Flip that switch in your mind because you have to be in the mindset to write. You're not going to be able to do it. It is like a completely, when I'm writing, I am completely unaware of anything that's going on around me. If someone calls me from upstairs, I will not hear them. Um, I don't listen to, I typically don't listen to music. I just sit there in complete and utter silence or I put my AirPods in with like the noise canceling on and I just sit there and I just write. It is like a state of mind that you, but to enable to put yourself in that state of mind, you have to start writing. You have to start walking down that path into that forest otherwise you'll never get to the forest and once you're there you can do it and you can start it, your brain starts the synapses start to fire and you can do it and get past that writer's block but you just have to sit down and write it's the only way you know i don't know where to start how do i start on this i don't just start i know it sounds stupid but just start just do it sit down and start writing something and it, and it typically will work dude I love that. Someone else who says uh, something very similar to that, but is uh, Mel Robbins. I was just listening to her on Rich Roll's uh, Roll On podcast. And she is like, Mel Robbins is like the, she's like the, what would you call her? Like, she's kind of like the mother of this idea of the 54321 method, which is exactly what how you got over writer's block is you started writing. But she, her 54321 method is like, you count down from five and by the time you finish one, you better go, you like, you better take one action towards the thing that you maybe have anxiety or you're struggling about. And the reason why it's this, you know, five, four, three, two, one method is like, you know, she started doing it, worked in her life, but then she started looking into the science of it. And, and, and the idea of like, when you give your brain an ultimatum, like it, and you start counting down like this, there is a like super, like superimposed or something within you that, knows that an action needs to come. So she uses this method as an idea to overcome certain things. Like she was having trouble just getting up in the morning because like she didn't really like her life. She had a lot of uh, terrible things going on. And like, so when, when that alarm clock came on, she knew, okay, five, four, three, two, one, I'm going to pop out of bed and get my day started. I'm going to go and brush my teeth. And then like the momentum starts to build. So I really like what you're saying there. It's, it's not dumb. It's, it's take the action that you know you need to take and don't worry about what it's that hard. initial outcome is going to be, man. It is. I'm not I'm saying sure. it's easy. It's hard. It's yeah, hard. No, There's a lot of not. times where I was like, you know what? I'm not going to do this today. And I would get up and I would go do something else. And then I would accomplish nothing and feel like <laughs> shit and have to work, work twice as hard the next day. And well, that's a whole right. self-employed thing is, is forcing yourself to work and do all that kind of stuff. But yeah. Do you, right. do you feel like, uh, you know, you're – there, your parallel universe, or there's another self where you are truly, you're living in this dystopian Western, um, like you. Well, in it, philosophically and in the universe, I feel like there's an infinite set of possibilities for everyone. So there's there's a there's a universe where uh, me and me Lacunas right now are having glasses of wine together over a fire somewhere sure. in some universe. You know, there's 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 universes for everything that's ever happened. Everything that has happened and will happen has already happened and will happen again. Wow. So what's this book about? <laughs> uh, the book is about the adventure of a young girl and uh, her trip towards becoming a 
a vengeful, murderous person. We'll just say that. Otherwise, we can get out of control with explaining the book. But it's like a dystopian society where, um, like, a caste system, and the girl lives outside of the caste system in a in a community that um, helps the caste system subsist, like farming stuff like that. Kind of like the um, the communist system work where they would lease out land to people and force them to work it and then provide for, for people. And she's one of these people who, um, I can't, I don't want to spoil anything. Not that the book's going to be done for a while, but she basically fights against it and goes to the city and, and does some stuff. That's, that's basically the, the cliff notes of it. I don't, I can't say anything without spoiling it. Right. Let's cut it off there. I like that synopsis. Yeah. That's good though. That was like a good version, like on the spot of like, Hey, what's the back of the book say? You know, I think you did yeah. a good job there. Yeah. What's the name of the book? The The name of the book is The Penrose Triangle. And I don't know if you... Do you know what a Penrose Triangle is? Some people do, some people do not. I do not. Do you know M.C. Escher? M.C. Yeah. Escher. Like the, all the different art where it doesn't seem to make sense and it goes up oh. and down and like up the stairs and it's like the dimensions don't make sense. A Penrose Triangle is like a triangle that is infinite. You follow it around like this and it just keeps going and going and going and going and going. Um the, the beginning of the book starts with uh, with the girl. She's basically, she's just called the girl at the beginning of the book. She's basically in a car, and I'm a car guy. So uh, she's in a car, and she's in an arena where people are watching, and she's injured in the car. And two men come up with saws that cut her out of the car, pull her out of the car, and set her on the ground. And she looks over the, the arena, and there's another person on the ground bleeding to death. And basically they judge her and say, you have not won. You know, and they hold up this black card and she goes that and at that moment, uh, the girl decided that she no longer believes in God. So it's this whole thing where she's in an arena, obviously, in some sort of demolition derby, kind of like a Roman Romanesque style arena. And there's another contestant over there that we don't know who they are. They're dead. They're bleeding, whatever. And she's bleeding to death on the ground. And that's the prologue. And then the book cuts into um, who is obviously the same girl uh, becomes apparent within the first couple of chapters she's young she's happy she's glowing she's radiant and some things happen to her which set her on a path to become the girl in the prologue so this the book is basically about how does this girl who's pure and young and and, and perfect that is leaving leading this life out in a in a ranch out in uh the flint hills of kansas how does she become someone that chooses to curse god and is in this situation where she's bleeding to death at the end of this book so it's kind of like this and then the whole story kind of goes like that, and it's going to circle back around to the, the beginning of the book. Like, how does she get there? How does she become um, that girl? Ah, Whoa. Yes. Dude. That was an even better back of the book description. <laughs> yeah, I, I probably should have. Yeah, I just, I just I'm worried about ruining it for anybody. <laughs> no, I don't no, want no. To ruin the story for anybody. Yeah, Andrew, just so you are aware, this is what a primrose triangle is. It's freaking cool, dude. So it's basically like it's a. Uh, um it's kind of never ending almost in terms of yeah it's an infinite loop yeah. cool dude that is that is rocking, she, she wears one around her chest it's a, it's an impossible shape but she wears one around her chest anyway it's like a carved one that someone gives her she wears it wow damn dude so what's it like because i i love reading fiction andrew also really really loves reading fiction and we both connect on this, this in the sense that like when you get to read fiction, you get to escape into another world for a little bit. And like, you'd be surprised what that can kind of that, what that alternative universe can do for your current universe and how sure. like they, they, they exist together. 
and it's just i think at the end of the day it's just like a, it's a great escape for your mind to just get away from stuff that is actually real and tangible now um, imagine so what, having control over that universe right yes and being able to control and shape that universe into whatever you want it to be it, it's weird how you know there's all these like how to write a book stuff out there and it's like oh do an outline make characters do character outlines for what you want them to be i didn't do any of that i just started writing and i had to go back and fix a lot of things because of that but all of a sudden these characters become real people they become real people that would react to situations in a certain way and you can predict like well yeah that's that's how henry or penny the girl's name is penny that's how pen would react in the book that's how she would do it that's her that's who she is that's how she would react and they become these real people that all of a sudden you have like control over their lives and you're like kind of playing god a little bit with the with this universe mm. that's epic oh man. i just got finished re- uh, i just finished reading dune um oh shit man yeah because the book the movie's <laughs> coming out here in a couple weeks or next week i think um yeah the 22nd i think yeah i'm very stoked about that i feel like movies are officially back james bond was uh, that movie rocked i'm not sure um, no spoilers but it did a great job of finishing off daniel craig's um james bond version um but dune i like that's the og fiction book um definitely behind the eight ball but finally like sat, sat down and read it and i was so thankful i did um the the different things that Paul Paul Hubert uh, cha- yeah challenged himself to take on from um, you know it, it, the climate change political um, really every single like controversial thing in the 60s he challenged himself to take on and anybody that reads dune can interpret it in a different way and like to say this is like the main focus of dune this like the ecology of dune or the political stance of all of the governing guild um uh and uh everything in between it was just the fucking coolest thing and i was so stoked reading that book and i'm sitting there thinking like i'm paul atreides i have a calling (laughs) Uh, it's hard to like tackle politics and stuff in your book because in my book obviously there's a there's a government, right? It's, it's it's Mercury, and there's a President Gideon, and there's all kinds of. I have to talk about why does this society exist 150 years in the future? Why is there one city left? And I basically framed it as in 2035, our society tore itself apart because everybody just became so hateful towards each other that there was just this, this civil war where society just collapsed, right? So I so then I had to explain, and and then there's obviously Penn is the the the, anti, the is the hero fighting the city who is the um the despots the dystopia right so what are they doing i won't say what they're doing but what are they doing and how do i have her be the antithesis of that like how do those two come together what kind of person would would fight that and how did they get there and of course you have to you're I'm probably going to lose some people with the politics of it but there's a lot of talk about you know liberty and personal freedom and and what what you sacrifice when there's you know you have comfort for liberty and liberty for comfort and make the trades yourself is it worth it or not and a lot of it is left it up to the reader like maybe it is worth it you know maybe that's so it's it's hard it's like major props to authors that are able to do it because it was one of the hardest things to struggle with when writing the book i'm uh i'm 
just I love and enjoy very much listening to you explain like the creativity behind like making your own little universe and like and playing with chess pieces and like really executing on that um when does the when does the book come out do you know (laughs) i don't so i did a first draft gave that to an editor he i went through it and did some editing and stuff like that gave it back to me now i'm going through it and i've added i'm like oh shit i gotta fix this i want to do this i want to do that so i've added another five or seven thousand words just in going through and fixing stuff and adding things and and you know you write something the way i wrote it you write it in the first uh like a year ago i write this character does this 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 and this by that time i get to the end of the book i'm like well shit they would never do that that type of person that it would never do that so then you have to go back and change it so that's kind of where i'm at now and then you have to do all this crazy unromantic shit like uh you need to make a query letter to send to publishers, which means you need to tell them what the book is about in like 500 words. You have mm-hmm. to do a synopsis then. So then you have to do it again, but it, then it's like 1500 words. And then you, you have to like, you basically have to pitch the book, right? Cause I'm not, mm-hmm. no publisher. I mean, how many books do people write a lot? Right. So they get a bunch of books in the mail and they, so they just boil it down to like a query letter. So it's all this like totally unromantic, like crap where I have to find a publisher and then decide if I'm going to publish it through a publisher or self-publish it. It's And I'm really scared because I put so much time, effort into this, like a year. Like I've, my wife has worked harder because I've been doing this book to help support the family. So I have, I've, the family has made a sacrifice to do this. I've made a huge sacrifice to do this. I've put everything I've ever, the hardest I've ever worked on anything with is this book easily. And then I go, okay, what do you think? Like, <laughs> what if it's, what if they hate it? Like my editor's like, wow, this is really good. This is super good. It's the best book I've read in like some time doing editing, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, great. But you're not going to give me any money or anything. So I'm get once I get to the point of having to just put it out in the world, I am scared. I am terrified. I don't know. I'm, it's almost like I know that I'm dragging my feet a little bit getting like completion anxiety with getting the book Mm -hmm. done and it's tough yeah damn yeah no i i think uh that's a good little fear to have though because i think it's gonna help you push the book out a little bit more like i hope so uh, it's scary yeah i that because because it isn't there a little bit of a disadvantage to self-publishing because of the cut that they would take from the distribution yeah. Uh, or do you value the market in which they're pushing it? You know, that's... I value the market. I see this. I think, I, I think the book is good. I think yeah. it's good. I think there's potential for. I'd like to do an audio book. Um, mm. Read your own audio book. No. Yes. No oh, come on, you have to. You got a good Not voice, a dude. Nobody, nobody would know my voice. No way. Not doing. <laughs> Not it. yet. They'll be like, this is the this is that guy who throws those crazy rallies in Utah. I am not reading my own audiobook. No Come way. on, dude. You have to. Not a chance. It's so in the much world, better. Man. No. It's so much better. No. No, I'm going to have a professional person do it. I might even cuz the main character is a, is, is a female. So I might have oh. a, a fem- female. But the problem with that is is that female even females don't like listening to females read just because the a male voice is more pleasing like mentally. 
So I'm kind of struggling with that, whether I want to have a female read the book or not. I don't know. We'll see. But it is not going to be me. It will not be me. Well, we'll no circle chance. back on this because you're reading that audiobook. That's <laughs> that's mandatory. It's going to sell, man. Yeah. It's going to no sell. All the big Chris Cluel fans are going to be like, did Chris read his own audiobook? I hope to God he did. And I will say absolutely freaking not. not <laughs> before, we, uh, before we get to our core questions, the last question about the book, um, and you probably have already answered this, but I want to ask it specifically. Um, you put yourself in this book. Uh, that's evident. You just talked about all the different um, deaths that you've gone to uh, create this story. What do you think is the biggest piece that Penn carries that you've instilled in her because you also carry it? Uh, spite. Mm. Spite has been a powerful motivator for me. Gotcha. As people telling me I can't do something, uh, you'll never do this, you'll never be able to do that, has been a just an incredible motivator for me because people have been doing that my whole life. Awesome. That rocks. Um, yeah, man. Believe in yourself. Fuck the yeah. haters. Fuck the haters. The first, the, I'll read you the first line of the, uh, of the book. It says, I am revenge. I am rage. I am vindication laid bare at your feet. I am the addition of all your fears. I am entropic. I am. And then it's just the girl. So it's a quote by the girl. She's going to say that somewhere towards the end of the book. And then that's the prologue. But, you know, it's spite and, and vengeance is something that is been a big driver of my life for better or for worse sweet really sometimes for worse so uh, yeah we so we actually ask something very similar we could maybe dive in if it's similar but or if it's the same or, or not uh but what is in your back pocket so this is something that like when pressure becomes stress anxiety is rising you're kind of in a tough situation this could also just be something that like is kind of an internal motivator for you um that you rely on is that something that spite plays a role as, or is, is, is there something else in your back pocket that you utilize more? I'm calm. You know, I'm very calm under stress, stressed. I don't get stressed out. I don't really get anxiety. Um, oddly, I don't have very much patience. So I know mm. those things don't sound like they would go very well together. I find myself tripped up very easily over trivial things. Uh, but really hard, complicated, stressful things don't seem to phase me very much, but I do struggle quite a bit with trivial issues. Um, whether it's in relationships with friends or whatever, stuff like that. I, I get tripped up on that quite a bit. Gotcha. Yeah. You were, I mean, from a stressful situation, I was following on your Instagram story, the going out to the rally, your brakes broke. Um, <laughs> and you weren't pumped about that. You're like, that's my least favorite thing that I would want yeah. to break out of all of the things that I'm capable of maintaining my car. Um, but you weren't like, there was never like, Oh, I'm shit out of luck. The, the world's over. It was just like, okay, here's what, how we're just going to get through this. Um, while Jeff, you're going to get through it some way or another, yes. you're, you're either going to get through it and learn something or you're going to, and, and you might still fail, right? You might still fail. Maybe I failed. Maybe I couldn't get a break line. Maybe, Maybe I was stranded there, but I tried and I learned something. Even if you fail, sometimes that's just how it is. You know, stressful situations, you can either, and some of, we're talking about regular stressful situations, not emergency situations, right? We're just talking about life stress, stuff like that. You can usually learn something, push through it. Even if you fail, it's, it's, it's okay. You know, that kind of stuff is, is not a big deal. You just have to chill and 
you know, sometimes maybe you need to step back, take a few deep breaths and go, look, I, I'm going to be here no matter what. This situation exists no matter what. I'm here. How am I going to deal with this? Like, what am what what are the what are my options? What can I do? I think sometimes people get paralyzed by choice, too. They're like, oh, I could do this or this. And they're like, uh, I don't know which it is. I'm like, just just choose one. Whatever. Just do it. Fuck it. You're going to you're going to live to see another day. And then uh, what did we learn out of the break situation? The little thing he can't go vertical, the thing he's got to go horizontal. Yeah, that's that's it. Yeah, that's yeah. it. <laughs> what I learned out of it is that I, you know, I met these wonderful dudes. These I ended up at a shop with, uh, run by these uh, Marine Corps guys, and they were awesome. And I made friends with them. It was great. And I ate a hot dog by a dumpster. What could go wrong? Hot, hey man, we're hot dog at the turn kind of guys. We like to golf. We always get a hot dog at the turn when you're there most you stressed and you got to relax. Hot dog and maybe a Red Bull. I'm assuming Jeff says you're a hot dog and a Red yeah. Bull kind of guy. Hot dog and a Red Bull kind of guy. Yep. <laughs> That's, That's so awesome. Yeah, it's gonna be cancer for sure someday. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude, oh, no. that's amazing. I love that. Um, you know. It, your your nutrients or your uh, nutrition in general that that could potentially like be uh, a shortcoming or something that you're average at. So we'd like to also ask you kind of like, what is your what is your average quality? Like Andrew and I are both average guys, uh, and you know we 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 kind of believe that everyone's average. Like I don't care how good you are at anything. Like you're gonna have something that kind of humbles you, or even you focus on internally. Um, that maybe you want to get better at. Usually we kind of like to say like the average quality is something that is like a, um, is something that you really care about that you know that you can be better at every single day. Uh, but you're not like, you can always put yourself on that comparison spectrum to just continue to get better. So my question for you then, uh, Chris, is what is your average quality, man? Probably seeking or finding meaningful relationships with other human beings. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do struggle with that quite a bit. You know, I, I'm very outgoing. I ha- I'm great at um, shallow uh, acquaintance style relationships, but when it comes time to to move beyond that and uh, and have deeper relations with people, sometimes I, I I say the wrong thing or I don't listen or I talk too much or, um, you know, one thing that's really helped me out is listening to Twelve Rules for Life by Jordan Peterson, and mm-hmm. one of his one of his rules is always assume that someone else knows something you don't which basically translates to shut the fuck up and listen and uh that's what i need to do a lot more of i i really do struggle with finding deep meaningful relationships for sure and and you're are you and you're you're attributing that to you just basically uh like not listening to the person who like your ability to not listen as much is causing the relationship to not flourish as much is that what you're saying I think so. Yeah, I think so. I think that's probably a big part of it. That and I know that I have, you know, issues with, you know, everything goes back to your mother, right? You know, mm-hmm. I have a lot of issues with my mom growing up and she's long gone now. But uh, yeah, I know it's definitely hurt, hurt that. Gotcha. Yeah, man. I mean, there's a certain degree you got some close friends already and why let other people in? Um, but there's always an area of, um, I mean, we were just kind of talking about it for a little bit of this podcast of um, you can learn so much from letting someone in. It's going to open you up to a new spot. Um, I'm on the flip side where I let too many people in. 
and i get i I like crave deep connections so i'm like thinking this person across from me will um get to this depth and equate and and then i will be and i can see and i can seek that validation of the depths that i want to go and in reality i'm it's like a falsehood of like i'm just like going i'm having a conversation to get deep with someone but i'm just forcing that depth and it's not real and it's like andrew just take a breath and simplify because that's going to be way easier at the end of the day. Um, but yeah, thanks for sharing that, Chris. Appreciate it. Um, yeah. The next question is a new question of ours. Um, and you know, okay. we were thinking about spending the whole hour on this one question, but now it's coming at the hour mark. Uh, what does your Mars look like? We are out in Utah and that's very Mars esque. But this uh, this can be taken in, in many different directions. I'm curious, Chris, what do you envision Mars to be for you? Mars for me, I guess, is the just the continuation of human exploration, right? I mean, humans have always been pushing further and further and further. I mean, what was yesterday, Columbus Day? I mean, yeah. that dude took some ships and just decided, you know what? I'm just going to go that way. And the dude just got on the ships and sailed. I mean, he was kind of a, I mean, he was a jerk, right? We know that now. But, um, I mean, that was just kind of the way of life back then. People were very, very, very mean to each other. But that aside, the guy basically lobbied Spain to give him a bunch of money to just sail into the horizon. And I think that humanity has had a desire to sail into the horizon for, since there ever was, since we first laid eyes on it. Since we first laid eyes on that sun melting over the horizon going, wow, I wonder what's over there. And, you know, that's the, that's what Mars is to me. That's the ne next horizon, right? We've already done the moon. Um, I think we did the moon. A lot of people are like, oh, we never did the moon. I think we did the moon. <laughs> and there's uh, and Mars is just that next thing. It's like, where, how are we going to go there? What are we going to do? How do we push the envelope? And what's kind of cool is um, society in Columbus's day, all that money that was used to send him there was basically pillaged from society, right? It was just stolen. And basically, it was blood money, right? From wars and pillaging. Now, if you look at the way like if you look at NASA and stuff like that, and we have different countries helping each other out, we help China, sometimes China helps us sometimes, Russia, like all these different uh, scientists around the world it's almost like this collaborative effort of exploration now which i think is a little bit more unique than it than it was before and we all get to watch it right so we can observe uh via the internet everything that's going on space shuttles launching and rockets launching and all this other stuff it's like this human human thing of watching the development of the space program go towards mars we get to somehow vicariously uh participate in chasing that horizon which i think is really cool yeah. Wow. That's a really cool way to look at it. Cause like, if you look back in the, like even the sixties with the space race, which I think is when it was with JFK and everything, where it was like, Oh man, like Russia just launched Sputnik. Like we got to fucking saddle up here scientists yeah. and like, let's do this thing as a, as a nation where now it's like, you know, a lot of the explorations like a, like a SpaceX or um, the one that uh, Bezos has, but like, and nasa too like they're all working together to a certain yeah there's degree. all Some kinds of, of different countries on the, on the international space station it's called the international space station you know, right it's great yeah and i i think that's just a cool like tidbit of humanity that's like really uh like coming together over something that right. is 
far external from anything we even have in existence it's, it's on our own. In. It's built in. We're, I think we're a nomadic people at heart. And I think we're always going to try and, you know, explore. And, and maybe that's why I like doing it so much is it's part of who we are. Yeah, I think you're totally right on that, man. The uh, I think it, yeah, and I think you, we we started with the podcast with that, and it, we we should definitely like finish with that in the same sense where it's like exploring is it can me it has many definitions like it can be whatever, but really taking that initial step, I think you said it right away at the beginning. It's like it was so powerful with you in your own life that like the only thing you really want to do is push people to to go explore in their own lives. Uh, because of what that can uncover. And I just really appreciate like that genuine intention. Your success of doing so has been freaking awesome. Um, and uh, it's, I'm, I'm just stoked to read this book now, dude. Now that you got this and, and you're, and you're going to read your book and it's going to be so good. Uh, and like, I'm just, I'm excited to see this progression. Man. You're, I'm, I'm stoked. Yeah. Send me a DM. I'll send you the prologue. You can read it. Sweet. Yeah. Awesome. Hell yeah. Right. Yeah. One of the biggest pieces of uh, advice we've gotten in like right as recent grads three years ago uh, out of school um, was be curious. Um, just be mm -hmm. curious. And I love the t like the add on of exploration um, where it's that's the action item behind being curious. Um, yeah, absolutely. Definitely going to resonate with me. And uh, for a while, like I think that is like I Mars is like the my vision like that's my constant reminder of like mars is the destination and i think yeah. the reason why i keep saying that to myself is and kind of working through this as i speak but like the exploration you know i'm always saying like take initiative be innovative um uh, be unique and it's that exploration behind it um yeah obviously we're not going to mars right you you know we're not going correct but we, we well, can don't take say that, that. <laughs> i ain't going <laughs> I, I watch Total Recall. I'm not going to Mars. Um, we can all take inspiration from that type of exploration, and we can all do our little things. Like they go to Mars, I go to Utah. I go to Utah. Someone goes to Iowa. Someone goes on a hike with their dad. Whatever you know, it's it's there's all there's a huge breadth of of exploration. As long as we're doing it, that's all that matters to me. Amen. Cool man. Uh, what and and another question just on exploration while we're here is. Uh, where are you exploring next? Do you know? I can't tell you. <laughs> I can't tell you. There's a lot of exploration planning going on for the next rally, but I, I cannot say. Mm. Good. Got to keep it a secret for now. I like that. Good anticipation. Yes. We'll make yeah. sure to, uh, when, you, when you do know and you do share out on your socials and everything, where can we find you? Uh, at Overcrest Productions on Instagram. Sweet. And we will tag that in the show notes of this podcast uh, for all the interns out there that want to check out Overcrest Productions. It's freaking phenomenal. Um, and we will finish with uh, with this final question here, Chris. Uh, from the time you woke up today, which what, what time do you typically wake up at? 7.30, 8 o'clock. Nice. That's, and you're self-employed, you said? Yes. See, that's, I'm looking forward to that at some point. I, that's, that's the time I'd like to wake up at as well. Um, so anyways, the time you woke up from the time you woke up to the time we're recording now, which is roughly nine o'clock. Um, what have you learned today, man? Well, I suppose you're supposed to try and learn something every single day, right? That's, that's, that's the thing is to have new experiences. But today was, I guess I learned that today was just another, 
uh, mundane day, right? I don't know. What did I... I wrote a whole bunch of new shit in my book. I learned that I fucked that up. There How you go. <laughs> yeah, nice, dude. Oh, yeah. 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 yeah That's you, awesome. You learned that you're capable of fixing it. Sure. No, I, I did learn. Um, I had this... I guess I had this moment with, with my wife, and I know she's been... She's been working very, very hard to make sure that all, you know, writing the book is possible and stuff like that. And I was kind of sitting downstairs and this has been going on for like a year. And I go, wow, I don't know. I mean, there's always been, hey, thanks. Hey, thanks. Right. You know, thanks for doing that. But I didn't think that there was like a, you know, a legitimate thank you. And I guess today I learned how much that real thank you could mean to someone that sacrificed so much. Wow. That's awesome, man. Gratitude is always a good thing to deploy. Yeah. Love that. Absolutely. Um, oh, I had one more question. Sorry about your book. Says whatever you want, man. Dude. <laughs> Anything uh, you want. So at what age do you think you would read this book to your kid? Uh, there's some adult situations in the book. Um, some, uh, there's a lot of violence. There's, um, a little bit of uh, sexual violence in the book too as a kind of defining characteristic of a very evil person in the book it's gonna be it's gonna be a while before they read it maybe i can re they want me to read them the book they do i love reading them books they love you know me reading to them i'll probably read it to them but there's definitely gonna be some yes. you know, some censorship and some stuff going on there. for sure but, right yeah. on, i could read it to them now but uh they would not understand a lot of the political stuff but and, and it's full, and it's full probably. Eighteen to twenty would be fine. Okay, you know somewhere mm -hmm. in there. Right it's Love pretty it. heavy at points. That's awesome. Frick yeah, man. Well, I gotta tell you, man, you've been uh, you've been an absolute pleasure to have on the podcast. Uh, Thanks, another man. great Thanks extension. Yeah, and we just like you love to record uh, you were talking at the beginning when you're recording podcasts with Jake, just like how you kind of chase curiosity, like. We do the same thing, man. We just love finding new people across this, the world and whoever recommends uh, people for the show just because we're genuinely curious on the person who's across from us. And uh, that was definitely the case tonight. And we're just stoked that you uh, came and joined us, man. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate you having me. It was my pleasure. Awesome, Chris. That is a wrap here on the Back Pocket Podcast.